Good morning. Dan. Hey, Dan. We're done. Cut it off. I think Dan could do that all service, right? You could, Dan. Just hang out with people. I mean, I love that about you. Uh, hey, I, just, I need to make a confession. Um, I think in some ways we could probably all affirm that, you know, getting up in the morning and uh, because you're 10 o'clockers, I, I kind of view that the early morning is ungodly. And so uh, getting here physically is, is a feat, right? Any amens to that for some of you moms or parents? Yeah, it's a lot of work. But I, I want to speak into, like, emotionally. Uh, I think for me, and I had to confess this to the first service, and I thought I'd just do it here too. And sometimes it's hard to be here. Like, I, I know the world, you have so much going on in our life that you, your mind is going 100 miles an hour, and Molly just asked me what's going on, and she can tell. I mean, sometimes it's just hard to land the plane and be here. And it's like it takes a song or the next song or a verse read and going, oh wait, I'm actually getting the chance to sing to the, the creator of the universe. I'm actually getting a chance to, to talk about this God I love or be reminded. And, and I, I don't know where you're at this morning. I'm just, I needed to say that. And even for me, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to be up here. I had to be present. And it's hard sometimes to be present. I feel a lot of different things, think about a lot of different things. So. I thought we would do is what we did last week is if we could all open up our hands and again, I'm not going to make you do this. This is up to you, but this is really a, a symbolic posture of saying, all right, God, no matter where I'm at in my spiritual journey, I'm open to hearing your Holy Spirit challenge me. Friends, this morning, that's not me. That's going to be the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray uh, as our palms are open that we would be open to your spirit's leadings. God, that we would sense places that we need to clean up, things we need to add to our lives, things we need to keep doing. And Father, I pray that together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Well, Billy was a young little guy, um, Easter, and his parents were going to take him to the mall to sit on the Easter bunny's lap and get the classic photo. Um, anybody done that before with your children? Nobody's done that with their children? Do they do that? Yeah. Most of the time, your kids will have to go to counseling for that, um, <laughs> right? Or you do after that. <laughs> uh, so Billy had his parents, and he's in line, and he's so excited. He can't wait to be there. He's in the front of the line, and, the, and the, the little girl before him gets off of the lap, and the Easter Bunny waves and says, come on. And he just stands there frozen, and his parents can visibly see something's not right. He's terrified. And they didn't know if it was normal, so the mom leans down and says, Billy, what's going on? Aren't you going to go to the Easter Bunny? And he says, Mom, the Easter Bunny has a man's head inside of his mouth. <laughs> I... I uh, I think about when we talk about, like, follow Jesus, and we say, be a Christian, or be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I've actually talked to people that will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, oh you're a disciple? Oh no, 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 I'm not a disciple of Christ, I'm just, I'm just a Christian. And I think there's a sense of fear that you might, your life might get swallowed up 
by the idea of being a disciple or a follow, as if there's a, a choice. You see, we started this series because, quite honestly, there are a lot of churches that are filled with fans. Easter and Christmas are great examples of where the fans come out, right? We saw after 9-11, lots of people kind of clamoring for God, love ideas about God, about rescue and protection and blessing. Anytime there's, there's hurt or pain in our lives, you see the fans come out, right? But, but as we learned, being a follower is very different. And that's why after Easter and Christmas and even how many weeks after 9-11, it all shrinks back down. And we wanted to do a series because your Bibles from Genesis to Revelation is a call for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not a fan. And we know that this idea about fans is very interesting because we're saying to leave the stand and to be on the field. That, that your Christianity, your faith in Christ is not reduced to just cheering about certain things you like about God, but actually following Jesus no matter what. The, the, the definition for fan last week we looked is an enthusiastic devotee to something um, as a spectator. And we have plenty of those in our world today in a lot of different venues. Now listen, I, I want to make sure I hear, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of things. I mean, I love sports and we, in our family, we love certain things. I just finished, anybody watch American Idol? I'm so like, I'm, I'm a fan. Or uh, we actually watched the You Think You Can Dance? And our family over the years have actually tried some dance moves. Um, and I can shock, I could still do the splits in the air and touch my toes. So I, I, I don't want to pull that out here because that will be at the time I hurt myself in full embarrassment. But I'm a fan of certain things. But I've learned over the years that being a fan of Jesus has never been what Jesus is asking for. And so we wanted to do a series that really called us um, beyond just being fans. And how do we begin to take the path that God's led out, God's path? Your Bible is filled with stories and metaphors and parables that, that God himself and, and Jesus will speak in the Gospels and the disciples will talk about there are two roads. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road. This narrow road is God's way, and it is hard. I, ha I had two uh, fellas that I've talked to since Easter that have made decisions. Uh, you know, one went up to the crosses and prayed, and another one was uh, being baptized. And both have said to me, this, this is like just getting started. This is just, this is hard. I mean, as if, and I know they didn't think that, but you know, you kind of reach that and you think, I'm in. Now I'm in the club and it's all good and everything's great. Friends, I can tell you when following Jesus, it's a daily, a daily effort, a daily conscious decision to follow him. And so we could even say that your whole life has these your path or God's path. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We know that it doesn't work. And so we said, well, it's either the fan path or the follower path. And, and so this morning, what I'd like to do, you've seen a couple of videos. We, we want to kind of land in this idea of, of being leaders. And I want to talk to you about how do we get from here to there? How, how do we get from being a fan to a follower? How do we get to being someone who just says we're, we're followers of Christ, but actually growing um, the, the, the influence that we have in our lives, what, what God has given us. 
I want to start from there. I want to start from this idea of how do you view your life? One of the, the readings, we've been in this reading, we told you to buy The Purpose Driven Life. It says, what on earth uh, am I here for? It's Rick Warren's book. It's 42 days of reading. I'm telling you, unbelievable. I've never read it, so this is the first time I'm going through it, and I love it. And it's already inspired me, and, and so much of what he's saying is speaking into our series. And one of the things he asks is, what's your life metaphor? I mean, you have to describe your life in a metaphor, what would it be? And in that same sense, he also asks uh, or challenges us to say, your life is a test. You have to view this life, this short little life you have in the scope of eternity, as a test. How are you doing? When I was in the Marine Corps in, in, our, in boot camp, um, how many military in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, oh yeah, devil dog, there you go. Um, uh, in boot camp, uh, there's all, most of you have been in boot, not whoever's been in boot camp, you, you'll get the idea that there's this point at which mentally you can break. And, and there's really this discovery that I think begins to happen and I think it allows you to handle the stress of boot camp. And I've heard other stories about this and this is true for me. I remember when I realized, wait, this is not real, it's a test. That, that was huge for me. This is a test. This is a test so that one day, if I ever do go to war, I'm being prepared for that. That changed my whole picture of boot camp. I could honestly say I love boot camp. Now, that sounds crazy, and I, I know, but because I saw it as a test. How do you see your life? The other thing Rick Warren talks about in there is he says life is a trust, and that you have been given what you have. You have been entrusted with the children you have, the siblings you have, um, the parents you've had. And, and some of you are saying, wait, wait, time out. I had a really bad set of parents, or I had a really bad set of, of siblings, or just a rough lot in life. Man, read your Bible. God gave really tough lots to people. Not because he was punishing them, because we can get confused that blessing means everything's perfect. No, he gave them, he entrusted them with that, and it had influence on how they dealt with that. Look at the story of Job. Look at Daniel. Look at Noah, look at Moses. Many of these, David, many of these stories, uh, there's not a bed of roses, but you have been entrusted with that. It's a test. And, and if you don't see your job and the resources and all that's around you as entrusted to you, well, then your life metaphor looks different. And as Rick would suggest, then if it's about just you, well, then spend as much as you want. Go do, go do everything you want before your life's over. But if you have kingdom perspective, follower perspective, you recognize, wait, one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do? What did you do with the gift I left you, Jesus? And what did you do with everything else I gave you in your life to point people toward him? This is, this is a huge calling for us as followers. It's in that vein, as you again watch this video about Global Leadership Summit, that we'll use a term. And there are bookshelves, thousands upon thousands of books on leadership. 
And if I were to say who's a leader in the room, I bet everybody wouldn't raise their hand. I would say that many of you in this room believe you're not a leader. But I want to suggest a different way to look at leadership because I believe you have been entrusted what I would call leadership through influence. If we define leadership as the, is the influence of someone's life on another, couldn't we argue in this room that everybody has it? We could say that because you're, unless you lived from birth to death in complete isolation, you, you would not uh, have leadership. But then we could also argue you also, ha- also had to be, have a mom and dad, and people know that you're in isolation, so you probably had some form of influence and, on how you're living your life. That said, leadership is the influence of someone's life on another. It's as if God gave us this, this, this hula hoop that kind of revolves around us, and that could be small, it could be massive, and you're touching the lives of people every moment of the day. People are watching. I know you, you watch certain people in this room. You're watching me. You're watching someone else. We're all in this posture of leading and influencing people. Now, we can do that in a negative way or a positive way. And if we were to look at culture, they define leadership in very different ways, but not as how God does it. So let me give you a couple of perspectives. First, leadership's not about seniority, position, or hierarchy. Just because someone's in charge doesn't make them a leader, but we would say that what? They have the potential to influence people, therefore have been given leadership. But that doesn't make you a leader. Simply the title doesn't make you the leader. Defined by personal certain attributes like gift set doesn't necessarily make you that, or management techniques. You see, I think in our culture we've reduced leadership to people who are, are, have intellect, in big words, it reminds me of, again, this story of, of a professor who gets on a ship and it starts sailing and, and talks to a sailor and says, do you know about life and about biology and psychology and zoology and cos- you know, cosmetology? He starts doing all these ologies. And the sailor says, no. The professor is frustrated and says, are you kidding me? Are you, you're going to die of, of stupidity. You're going to die because you don't know much. And so he just, he rants through this guy's, this sailor's life. The boat starts to sink. The ship starts to sink. The sailor comes to find the professor and says, Professor, let me ask you a question. Do you know about swimology and escapology from sharkology? And he says, No. He, he says, then sharkology is going to take your headology and you're going to dieology because of your mouthology. <laughs> I think we put way too much on what we think people know. And I think this is a powerful picture about leadership. Leadership is influencing people. And therefore, no matter what age you are, uh, no matter what sphere God's placed you in, you are having people being impacted by you. You have some followers. Now, they may not outright say they're followers of yours, but they are watching you. Friends, this is the call of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's that you live a life that people can emulate. You you know and you recognize how you live your life is important. Paul will talk about this. Paul will say, listen, to the Jews that became a Jew, to the Greeks that became a Greek, he's not saying he's a chameleon. 
He's saying as he enters into spaces and recognizes who's there, he is very aware of the influence he might have. Are you? Do you recognize the conversations you have daily? Do you realize that people are watching how you speak to others and how you treat others, how you treat your family, how you spend your money, how you spend your time? People are watching. We have influence. We have this entrusted and a test about our leadership here in this life. That's why I'll say everyone's a leader. So how are you getting from here to there? How are you moving from maybe a posture of, of being a fan and sitting and saying you don't have a role of leadership, you have no place of influence, to moving into the posture of you are a follower, you do have influence. How are you growing that influence? Not increasing the number of followers, but how are you, how are you growing? I want to give you three specific ways that I believe followers of Jesus Christ begin to move in when they're becoming more aware of their leadership and influence in life. I want to start from just a couple different passages. Proverbs 8.17 says this, I love everyone. This is God speaking. I love everyone who loves me. And I will be found by all who honestly search. There's a promise there that God gives. And again, this is a different translation, but I love the way this speaks about this. Is I will be found. Uh, in other translations it says, if you seek me, you will find me. God will make himself known to those who are seeking for him. That's a really important first step from getting here to there. The first step is someone who is recognizing their influence and wanting to grow that and deepen their leadership would say they diligently seek God's direction. How are you doing that? See, see for me, I, you watch me maybe before I get up here and sometimes you think my head is in my hands because I'm disgusted by Bobby's song he sang or... or I'm just upset at somebody in the room, right? They're giving a financial thing. Oh, this is horrible. Uh, actually, no. You know what I'm going through? I'm going through this process of God has entrusted me with this right here, metaphorically, and this entire room for however many minutes I get. Wow. God, I want your direction. And so my prayer in there is not me, but you. Even if that means losing fans, even if that means saying the tough things, God, I want you, I seek your direction. Friends, I feel that way. When I get out of bed in the morning, I, I've told you before, there are days where I go, this is the worst job to have because of the weight. Yet, I always say it's the best job to have. It's, a, it's always a tension. And you guys know what I'm talking about because responsibility weighs heavy on shoulders, doesn't it? And when you feel the weight of people, that, that's big. How are you seeking God's direction? Friends, I have just to say, it's, it's a start of the prayer life. If you want to grow in your awareness of being moving from a fan and moving from here to there, being that follower and being that person that God is using to influence others, you've got to be talking to him a lot. There are conversations I'll have where they're going to be tense or they're going to be 
confrontational or they're going to be tough or even in the middle of a meeting, I can find myself, oh Lord, what do you want from me right now? What are you asking from me right now? There are times where we've had tough decisions. Lord, uh, you know, what do you want from me? I, I'm going to just give you a funny one right now. I, I've been in Best Buy. I'm a tech geek, so I love techie things. And so I have a gift card of $250 at Best Buy. It is a prayerful decision to always walk out of there and not have purchased anything with that. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Lord, rescue me from marketing, please. I don't want to purchase anything. In a funny way, I think, really, isn't it, shouldn't that be the prayer for everything we're doing throughout the day? Lord, maybe there's a conversation I need to have today. See, those who are moving from here to there are diligently seeking God's direction. Psalms chapter 1. It says, happy is the man who does not walk in the way of sinful men uh, that tell him to or stand in the path of sinners, or sit with those who laugh at truth. But he finds joy in the law of the Lord, and he thinks about his law day and night. This man is like a tree planted by rivers of water, which give its fruit in the right time, and the leaf never dries up. Whatever he does will work out well for him. This is Psalms chapter 1, one of my favorites. Uh, I, I memorized it in a different version, and I love this. Because what is this saying? This calls us, it calls us, are you meditating on God's truth? How are you hearing truth? Where are you placing yourself in places or circumstances or under teaching to do that? The picture here is the psalmist David writes, I meditate on your truth. First and foremost, you say, that's why we read our Bible. Friends, God is in, not in heaven checking boxes going, oh, good, Troy has now read through the Bible this many times. Man, so good. No, it's I want to sit underneath. If I want to know his direction, i got to look at the book that talks about the character and nature and call of God in my life. Then I want to know it. And then when teachers come around talking about it, even if I might not fully agree with where they're at with all of it, I want to learn. I want to learn. That means God will even use people that don't know him to teach us. How many of you have been in a movie or a concert or in a public setting where the person doesn't know God, yet they said something so profoundly it was like God said it to you? Anybody felt that before? I have all the time. I, I feel it all the time. And if you read in your Bible, God often would use people that were not godly to speak to others. They didn't even realize it. Where are you placing yourself in that? Let me give you another verse, Proverbs eleven fourteen. Without good direction, people lose their way. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. Can I say it a different way? If all you're listening to is yourself, you're in trouble. If, if all you're trusting is that it's just you and your Bible and that's it, you're in trouble. Because the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. It calls us to be what? Have a humble posture of learning. Be always in a place that you humbly are modeling this, this posture of learning. Where can I learn? Where J. Warner Wallace, you know, LAPD, cold case detective, we've had him here about four times already. 
So we're getting these uh, Facebook replies. Is it going to do anything new? And I'm like, wait, have you mastered his book? There's a preacher that would preach, preach 10 weeks the same message. And finally, some of the congregates and a couple of the elders tapped him on the shoulder. I'm sure that would happen to me here. Hey, um, are you lacking new material? Uh, they were really concerned. Are, are you okay? Are you not spending enough time studying? He goes, oh, no. I just recognize I have to keep telling you the same message until you actually apply it. Friends, when you're a learner, you, you humbly place yourself not as I check the box, but where and how could God move me and change me again? Sometimes it's hearing the same thing over and over and over again. If any of you have been in counseling, you know that, right? It's like you sit in counseling going, really, I'm dealing with this again, and you can't shake it. It's the same thing with our learning, that we've got to recognize that we're human and flawed and that placing ourselves underneath teaching. Okay, so this is why Sundays... Sundays is not entertainment. It's not to give you a little bit of a, can I pump you up this week, you know? I want to pump you up. Just make you feel really pumped about work this week. No, this is to put you underneath some teaching. That's not me, but this is coming from Scripture to say, you're going to have to wrestle with this. We've had some people leave our church because it's too convicting. That's probably the best place to be. Put, put me in a room where I'm going to have that kind of input into my life. One of the things we do around here is transformation of the heart. It's a nine-month, really, discipleship process. It's, it's a meal together, it's teaching, and then it's groups. You want to know the hardest part and the most productive part of what we do for nine months? Is the groups that stay together and are unpacking their stuff and hearing from other people. You see, we don't grow without that kind of input. You need that input, that honest feedback. Someone who is moving from here to there not only seeks, diligently seeks God, but they're humbly modeling a learning posture. Let's go to this last one. Jesus says this. He, he uses a parable. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine is perfect and awesome. You follow me here? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, that'd be your time to say what that next word is, you know, it's not really a mystery. Um, yeah, practice. Don't you think maybe this is the hang up of why people get stuck from here to there, from staying at fan and can't get to follower because this is where it hits the road. It's one thing to say that you're to forgive everybody, but when you actually have to forgive someone who's hurt you. It's one thing to say that we're to be generous, but then when God calls you to, do, to give something away. It's one thing to serve someone and say about serving someone, but actually to go do it. Friends, these are all principles that the Scripture teaches, but we find, I would say, the big dividing line between Fans and followers, people who are trying to move from here to there, get stuck right here. They're not practicing. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house in the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, 
and blew, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What's our principle here? Those who are moving here to there, those who are, are seeking to become followers of Jesus Christ, not only diligently seek God's direction, not only place themselves in a humble posture of learning as much as they can get, but they practice what they learn. If you want to know the dividing line, it's the practice. Metaphorically, or just to illustrate it, any other, any other field, not just sports, would say this is true too. You can know all you think you know, but until you actually practice it, it doesn't mean a thing. What are you practicing in your life? There's a term in the Hebrew language, and the Jews still use it today, but it was very common in the Old Testament. It comes out of the, the Deuteronomy passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then it goes into writing on the doorposts. In fact, they have these little boxes you can buy, decorative, that are all throughout Israel in every doorpost, every doorway in Israel that you're supposed to rub and kiss. Why? It's because it's the word of God. It's the Shema. It's the word Shema. What does it mean? It actually means to listen. But the problem is in our American culture, in the way we understand, we just think that just means to listen. That's it. Let me give you a little bit deeper perspective. Translated as hear means more than to perceive some sound. It encompasses a whole spectrum of ideas that include listening, taking heed, and responding with action to what one has heard. See, you would never say in the Jewish culture, I heard that, and not practice it. You couldn't sit somewhere and hear something and not practice it if you heard it. And this is probably why I'm just making an assumption here if they argued so loudly and aggressively. If, if, if rabbis, and I mean, they're very aggressive in their conversation about dialoguing theology and God, but probably because they're refusing to hear something if they didn't agree. No, it's, it says this Shema is, is about us hearing and putting it into practice. What happens when we put God's truth that we're seeking into practice? Friends, it's influence. You have leadership. You have God-filled leadership that moves people. John Quincy Adams said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're a leader. And when we talk about godly leadership, God-filled leadership, it starts to move people around you. And I think some of you have not awakened enough to recognize the influence you have right around you. So I've, I've joked with you before, I've, my study process is a little bit unorthodox, but I have headphones on and I'll listen to music or watch movies and so it kind of helps my creative side stay down as I'm trying to read. If it's too quiet, I get too distracted, believe it or not. Uh, but, and so Trisha's like tapping on his shoulder one time because I was singing to a worship song and the dog was howling. 
and like he was dying, so he had, you have to stop singing, Troy. The dog's gonna die. Um, so I came out of my office this week, and I go, oh my gosh, Trisha, did you hear me? Uh, oh my gosh, I was weeping. Uh, because I watched the final scene to, this, to the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Anybody, anybody seen that, Mr. Holland's Opus? Oh my gosh, it'll wreck you. And let me just give you the story if you haven't seen it, and I'm gonna show you a clip of it because I think it's important for our illustration here. Uh, the ending scene, he is, well, he's a music teacher. He's a music man. He wants to write his symphony. That's his big dream. He has a boy um, that has a hearing disability, and he's married and realizes he's got to provide, so he reluctantly takes a teaching job that he thinks is temporary. His first scene is classic. He, takes, he, he has the music class, and they're horrible. Well, lo and behold, he's there for 30 years. He has no idea, and he felt stuck. He felt like he didn't accomplish or influence or do what he ever wanted to do. Really felt like he got a bad lot. And, and the scene in the movie is he's walking out with his older son now and his wife with boxes. And he has this surprise with a room, an auditorium filled with every student he's had. So I want you to watch it. What is that? Um, I don't know. What, you can't hear what's going on in the auditorium? Oh, yeah, I, I, I hear it. Well, there's something going on. Maybe this is supposed to be. Well, it could be something going on. No, the summer program won't start for another couple of weeks.
Um, <clears throat> our master of ceremonies seems to be a little late, so I guess it's up to me to begin. Um, when word first got out that the music program was cut and about the retirement of my husband, well, I've never seen such a response from the community. Oh, looks like my watch is fast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our governor and Kennedy High School alumnus, the most honorable Gertrude Lang. And uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. So they call him up, uh, and the curtain opens, and it's more of the people that he's led that are doing his symphony. Oof. I think it gets me, and I, I, we're going to go to response, but the reason this hits me so deep, two reasons. One, because I have a Mr. Holland in my life that influenced me. I had, I had two coaches that were just unbelievably influential in my journey, and I'm so glad they weren't just fans of Jesus. I'm glad they were followers. I'm glad that they saw every interaction they had with me as important. You know, the second reason this moves me is I think many of us, myself included, always think like we're, we're not really doing a good job. We're, we're not really that important. Didn't you hear the line? He felt like he was a failure. He didn't really, he, did, he had a bad lot. And I think I feel such, uh, in these moments when I watch that, an awareness of, I don't know what it's going to be like to get into heaven. 
But one of my thoughts is, is I'm going to see people around me that somehow, someway, God used me to influence. I don't know if it's going to be a big room. It could be very small. I don't know. All I know is I do want to see some influence. I do want to see a life spent that was entrusted to me that has fruit. Not of wealth, not of fame, but of lives changed. Friends, if, if you in this room had not seen that you have a chance to lead, then I think you're missing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have influence. And you are writing a symphony in your life of influence all around you every day. What are you doing? How are you moving from here to there? How are you growing in that leadership responsibility? Where are you sharpening the saw of your own life and, and removing some of the stuff that doesn't belong? Where are you letting people speak into your life in a way that might be hard but might be the best thing you've ever heard? Friends, I want to grow because I one day want to stand before our God and, and hear him say, you took what I gave you and you, 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 were, you took what I entrusted with you and you used it. You used it for my glory. This morning we have that chance. We go to communion. We celebrate the bread, which represents the body, the cup, which represents the blood of Christ. Friends, when you take that in, you're not doing God a favor. You're not, this is not for you. It's for you to be reminded that Jesus is in you. He is in you. Because he's in you, he says, I will have an effect. You will influence people around you. You've got to realize. That's why we do that sacrament. Friends, you're all leaders. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have a responsibility of leadership in this room. May we feel the weight from your spirit that we have of influence towards you. Might you this morning put a finger on anything in our lives that needs to be removed or added. And God, we give you glory as we sing to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.